Consult is a monthly podcast about software developers who work on Apple platforms to create client products. Join us each month as we talk business, Swift, Objective-C, contracts, App Store, and all things Apple. I'm your host, David Kopeck. Welcome to the December 2016 episode of Consult. You know, we've been doing this show for about a year and a half, and it's been fantastic. We've had just incredible guests, some incredible feedback from the listeners, but I want to expand the show. I think we've really covered every kind of consultant we could possibly cover. We've had CEOs of large consulting companies, we've had loan developers, and we've had part-time consultants. We've had every kind of iOS or Mac consultant you can imagine. And so I want to start doing more topical episodes. Um, I still want to do interview episodes because I think the interview episodes have been absolutely excellent. But I want to even expand the focus of that, maybe even beyond consultants. So in the new year, when we start with the January 2017 episode of Consult, we may dive into uh, the type of topics that we haven't dived before in this podcast. I want to remind everybody to please leave reviews for the show on iTunes. That's really how you can help with its popularity. Please recommend us to your friends on Overcast or in your podcast player of choice. I have a great interview for you this month with Rob Napier. He's a really well-known developer. You might know him from his books. You might know him from his speaking. You might know him from his work in the open source world where he has some really popular security products. So listen in to my interview with Rob Napier, and I hope you have a wonderful holiday. So my guest today is Rob Napier. A lot of you know him from speaking, from being an author of several successful iOS books. He's a successful developer and also a successful consultant. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the program today. Glad to be here. So Rob, take us back. How did you first get into software development? How'd your career start? Oh my goodness. Uh, Software development. I've been a software developer almost my whole life. (laughs) So I I was eight years old and met my first Apple II Plus. And uh, pretty much never looked back from that moment. Um, but when I got out of college, uh, I had done several different kinds of jobs in high school and even going back to junior high school. But uh, when I got out of college and had my first real you know, job and everything, mm-hmm. uh, I basically I took a job working on a bizarre, obscure language called SL1 to do uh, telephone switch software. So this was, you know, in a world where change, change requests happened with by hand. Uh, there's no Git. There's no subversion. This was before even like CVS or any of those on uh, mainframe computers. Right, right, right. So what was SL1 like as a language? Actually, it was a really cool language for a, a lot of things. We had memory that when you rebooted a phone switch, you didn't lose So uh, the idea was that you could boot a phone switch and calls might be in progress and you needed to, you know, just because the entire machine crashed, that wasn't an excuse. You had to keep working. Wow. Um, Okay. So a very, very different world. No dynamic memory. Everything is allocated at boot time. So there are no null pointers. They can't exist. There's no memory protection. There was no kernel. We, you know, the only thing running on the hardware was a... um, was our program. We were the entire operating system and application and everything else. Wow, and that's low entire, level. 
Oh, yeah. Well, but on the other hand, so easy because it was a giant while loop hmm. that ran one thread and it ran every A task and then it would run one B task and then it would run every A task and then it would run the next B task. And then when you got through all those, it would run one C task hmm. and then we go back up. And so I was a C task doing billing and you would just... You know, you could count up exactly how much time you had before the watchdog would fire and crash the entire machine. But you could just assemble, you could compile a program, look at the assembler, count up how many nanoseconds each instruction took. You knew everything. It was trivial. So um, I'm amazed that programmers today jump into a system like iOS because mm-hmm. I had decades <laughs> before I had to deal, you know, with dynamic memory and art and memory management or any of that or threads. I didn't, I don't think I saw a thread for, you know, 15, 20 years. Wow. So where did you go <laughs> next? You're doing this SL1 job. Uh, yeah. What does that lead to? Oh, I went through all kinds of stuff. I, w- I used to be a sysadmin. Uh, I used to manage uh, Unix systems and Macs and PCs. And um, I was a Novell Networkware admin for a while. I was uh, then I went over. I was a Perl developer, and um, and then I got into security. Okay. And security was was a big thing for me for many years, and that was that was great. I loved I loved working in security. I used to travel all over the place, and I used to break into uh, or sneak into Chinese uh, manufacturing sites. Oh wow! That we, well, that we owned places that that we were, we owned. Okay. Um, so <laughs> it was my company. But okay, we would okay. Go in. I mean, we so it was uh, it was legal, but uh, we were trying to see if we could get caught. And, you must um, have some good stories. There were a lot of good stories, but I eventually decided that I had to stop. I was traveling constantly. I had ch- I was I had young children, and I really wanted to see them, and uh, I couldn't do that because I was traveling so much. And I decided that I had uh, a little while before I had learned. I taught myself Mac development because mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to play Pandora in a um, in a without my browser. Okay. And uh, to do that, I need to write a little tiny app, and uh, it still exists today. It's called Pandora Boy. Uh, I don't think it works anymore with Pandora, but um, but I really wanted this. I, I actually inherited that from a from another developer. Um, and I wanted to fix it and make it work for me. And to do that, I learned. I taught myself Mac development. So this was just a whim. This wasn't something for oh, yeah. your job. It was just a side gig. Absolutely. It was just and, – and half my life is side gigs. So they turn into stuff. So then I, uh, um, I, I had already done that and I saw a job open up and, uh, in the company and I said, hey, sure, I'll, uh, I'll apply. I went over. I showed them my stuff and they looked at me and they said, Rob, you are not the best Mac developer, but – you're very, very enthusiastic, and, <laughs> and also you're really cheap to hire because you're internal. So sure, and that's when they and they taught me. They taught me everything, um, and uh, they sent me to Big Nerd Ranch where I got to learn from from Aaron. Uh, sure, we had him on the show. Great guy, fantastic. He taught the class that you know he taught me Cocoa development. Wow, and uh, that was that. That the rest was kind of history, and then the iPhone came along and. Right. It was awesome. So, Rob, tell us, how did you get into consulting? Yeah, iPhone really made that possible. Uh, I was was a full-time developer, 
But I had this guy come along and say, hey, I really, really, really want to build an app. Um, he wanted to work, he was working in real estate and I said, hey, I can help you. That's fine. Um, I, I had worked with my manager to make sure that this kind of stuff was okay, that I could do some side stuff and learn and kind of grow my skills, um, to bring back to, to work. Mm-hmm. But he said, Hey, I really want to build this thing. So I was, start, so I started working with him to put together a, uh, not even in this case, it wasn't, I wasn't even a developer. I would say, I will help you find a developer. And, uh, I did some matchmaking and that worked out pretty well. The, in the end, the entire project failed so, as many, many projects that are kind of ill-conceived do. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was quite, it went very, very well. Uh, it, it definitely taught me my big lesson in consulting, which is just have a rate and take your rate. Mm-hmm. So I don't take equity. I don't take future bonuses. I don't take a cut of the profits. I just take an hourly rate and your million idea, million dollar idea is your million dollars. Keep them. <laughs> okay. And yeah. doing that, I probably have not gotten as rich as I could, but I've always gotten paid. <laughs> right, right, right. That's that is rule number 1 for a lot of people that they learn. Just don't take equity. No equity. <laughs> <laughs> just take the money. Um in fact, at the end of the project, one of the people came to me, that particular project, and they said, "You know, Rob, Every, everybody, there are, people did tons of work on this and everybody did all this stuff. And the only person who made any money in this whole thing was you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I told you from the start, I just want my rate. That's all I'm asking. Hmm. <laughs> so doing consulting, what's been different about it from when uh, you've been working full time as a developer? How does it contrast and compare for you? Oh, I love the consulting work I've done because most of the projects I work on are very, very small. Mm-hmm. And I love working in the small. Um, so people usually come to me, like I say, I, I have full-time work. I don't need project. I don't need the project so much as I like to help. Mm-hmm. And I, I learn so much. And that's what I really, really want to do. Um, so they usually have some hard problem, cryptography, sometimes it's performance. I've had a lot of drawing and like really hard drawing problems or text layout problems mm-hmm. that somebody has is has 90 percent of the way there. And then they come, but it but it jitters or they can't get the video to play right or whatever. And they come to me and then I'm able to jump into that and fix that one problem. Package it up real nicely and hand it to them. And you like that narrow focus. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then I'm done. And they worry about App Store. <laughs> I never have to deal with App Store. Um, when, I'm at, when I'm at full-time jobs, I mean, you have to deal with all, you know, you deal with bugs and you deal with all of the, the day-to-day stuff and lots of just, okay, make this, you know, add one more little feature here. And that can be, you know, nice and it's great when you're part of a big project that finally ships and that's wonderful. But I do love the, I just fixed this one problem, and now I'm done. And how do people find you? Is it mostly word of mouth? It's all word of mouth. I don't think I've ever advertised. Wow. Um, people come along. I, I used to, uh, my email signature I've often had, you know, hey, I, I do consult. I've actually taken that out because in, in a lot of cases I've needed to – I've had to turn away so many jobs mm-hmm. because I – 
I do full-time work right. uh, and haven't had time for it. I'm taking things again, but but again, it's usually just because somebody goes, hey, I really, really need some help. So I'm a very lucky situation. I mean, most people couldn't do that because they need to pull a paycheck or they need you know, every month. Right, right. And over the years, what's been a project that has been the most gratifying for you as a consulting project? Um, you don't have to name names. We don't have to know the specific name of the app, but, but tell us about it. Oh, the most I really enjoyed was a, a full app that I, I, did, I did maintain. And it's not, it's not a beautiful app, but it came from the heart of, of the client. Um, a, a guy came to me, best client I've ever had in my life, uh, came to me with this project. He had built – he was a pilot, private mm-hmm. pilot, and he built a, he built a little iPhone app or excuse me, iPad app. And to help pilots in the cockpit, mm-hmm. it did weight and balance and all this other kind of stuff for, for two specific models of airplane. I mean, this isn't for all pilots. This is for very, 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 very niche mm-hmm. um, for just his club of uh, private pilots. And he brought it and it was so perfect for what they needed. And the code was so horrible. So okay. horrible because he didn't know anything, and he knew he didn't know anything. <laughs> he was he came and said, I, "I don't know anything. I'm a I'm a core uh, whatever a cold fusion programmer." Oh wow! Um, and uh, he didn't know he he understood they had to call malloc to allocate <laughs> memory, but he found that if he ever added free, that sometimes it would crash. So he just didn't call free. So this ever. thing was a mess. This was a total it was a mess. total mess. But and this was the thing that captured so much. Not only was it hideous to look at and the code was beyond horrible, but it did exactly what he needed and what his users needed. And in fact, every time I tried to f- – I was like, this user interface is horrible. And I would try to fix that. I'd do new interfaces. Mm-hmm. And he'd come back and said, Rob, you don't understand pilots. Hmm. Yes, our buttons are, are big, nasty things because we might have to hit them in turbulence. Hmm. I'm like, oh, you know, no, I don't want you to put beautiful shading. I need to see this in really difficult lighting situations, and I need things to be exactly where I put them. And we go, oh. And so I suddenly learned that what, I, what I'm seeing as ugly right. is, is perfect. It's exactly what he needed, and he knew what he needed. <laughs> um, and he was so supportive in, uh, in getting me things that were – that I could then turn into very, very stable working code. Um, and I think we, we had a great relationship for a long time. That's awesome. How much has your experience in security crossed over into your work as an iOS consultant? So, And also, as a add-on to that, can you tell us about how you feel about the state of security in today's modern iOS apps? Sure. A lot of what I've done has been security over the years. It's a it's an area where I have a lot of experience and that most people don't. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult area to get experience in. Um, it's actually a very hostile environment to get into. Um, and most both documentation and people you'll talk to don't share information very well. So it can be hard fought. So uh, for me, security has been huge. I, I manage a, uh, uh, an encryption scheme called RNCryptor, mm-hmm. and so that's been popular. Uh, that's open source, but people then contract me to adapt it to their specific needs, uh, which happens now and then. Mm-hmm. And people often contact me about 
they have some they've come up with some very very custom way of dealing with a security problem that usually means it's a really bad way to do it and mm-hmm. i help the, i help them design a good way to do it um, usually that's disappointing to people because security turns out to be really hard to get what you want. I'm tell, not real, Oh, go ahead. Tell us more about R encryptor for those that aren't familiar with it. Absolutely. So most R encryptor is a wrapper around AES encryption and it's built on top of common encryptor. It's built on top of the, the stuff that Apple gives us. Mm-hmm. AES encryption is in fact very, very hard to use correctly. Um, and if you use it in a naive way, you will build something that is wildly insecure. And in fact, most people use it in a way that is wildly insecure. And I got very, very tired of correcting people over and over again on the net and, uh, especially on stack overflow. And I say, no, that's wrong. Please don't do that. This code that you've copied is horrible. Please don't do that. And And it finally occurred to me, instead of nagging people and basically saying, you're doing it wrong and shaking my finger. The better solution is make something easy. And so what our encryptor tries to do is provide a wrapper of best practice cryptography that is very, very easy to use and tries to get out of your way. And it's been implemented. It's, a, it's actually a format that's implemented in many, many languages. So there's Java versions and PHP versions and, and, and on and on. There's a Haskell version and a Go version. There's tons of them. Right, and it's incredibly popular, right? I've seen it around quite a bit, and I I think last time I saw it had thousands of stars on GitHub. Uh, Yeah, it it has been been kind of surprising, uh, people who come up to me and and say that they're using it in in fairly serious things. So our encryptor I've I've liked a lot. It's been the kind of thing that I want to provide to people. It's not perfect. I've I've been working on how to make things even better um, in it, but... But I like it. And has it led directly to consulting clients? It sounds like you were yeah. indicating before it has. So people have come to you and been like, well, we're using our encryptor. Maybe we're not using it properly. Or we've heard about our encryptor. You're the person to integrate it in our project. Absolutely. And that's something for people who want to consult, I think, is can be a very, very big deal. I've actually seen that many times, is giving things away is often the, the road towards getting contracts. So getting involved in the open source community. Absolutely. Or other places, speaking um, or managing conferences, lots of things where people give things away. Uh, Stack Overflow has been one of the larger uh, drivers of business for me. I answer a question on Stack Overflow, and then people come back and say, hey, I need something much, much deeper, but I don't want to post. I I want you to look at my actual code, not the code I want to post on Stack Overflow. Wow, that's very interesting. That's one in the interviews I've been doing for this podcast that I've never heard before that directly from Stack Overflow, people are contacting you. I would say that's my largest source. Wow, that's very interesting. <laughs> I do answer a lot of questions on Stack Overflow. Okay. Um, so, it's, yeah. so that may be slightly the difference. But I do think that places like Stack Overflow are fantastic. Uh, it's how I learned so much. I mean, I... I didn't answer so many questions on Stack Overflow because I knew a lot. I know a lot because I've answered a lot of questions on Stack Overflow. Okay. So I would see when I was first getting started in iOS um, and and even well, not Mac because there wasn't Stack Overflow, but <laughs> uh, but I was still relatively new when it came along, and 
I would see a question. I go, I don't know the answer to that, but that seems a really interesting question. And I would go and research it and try to find an answer. Um, and again, that comes back to, I love doing these little small problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, it was perfect. Uh, it's actually rather addictive and can kind of get in the way of doing other things, but I would fix it come back and sometimes I'd be first and sometimes I wouldn't be. Sometimes somebody else had you know, already knew the answer and they just answered. And, and I knew a lot of folks I talked to and they, they, would, they would describe the same situation. They go, I did all that work and I didn't get any reputation. Mm. I look at them and like, you're crazy. You, so what you're saying is you just learned a whole bunch of new stuff and know, and now you know the platform much better and you're complaining that somebody didn't give you fake internet points. That's <laughs> right. the complaint. You won. You you got you, your worst case is you know something you didn't know. So in many cases though, you know, you see the same questions and you keep answering them and then your rep goes up and then people start to see your reputation and then they contact you. So very interesting. Stack Overflow often does get a bad rap though, right? Um, do you think mm -hmm. that some of that is justified? Some of it, um, I think the iOS world is uh, pretty good in Stack Overflow. Uh, the Swift and, and the like, I, when I talk to people who live in kind of different bubbles or different tags, um, like JavaScript and the like, it, they, they talk about all these problems that they run into, that I rarely run into, of people being very mean or spirited or, or the like. And I, I, I rarely see that. Um, we, uh, you, you kind of start to get to know the regulars okay. as well, <laughs> and uh, that and that leads to relationships, and so that's also really nice. But I, I, I think that the other problem I that people complain about is oh, people just copy off a of Stack Overflow, and right. and that's horrible. Um, and in fact, I, I wrote uh, one of my most recent blog posts was on that on copying and that right. copying it wrong. I copy stuff from Stack Overflow all the time. Um, the trick is you need to understand it. And the way you understand it is you, you make it your own. You, For instance, I don't cut and paste out of Stack Overflow right. almost ever. I type it again just so I see the code. Right. Um, and of course, and, we have to cite it, of course, which is another thing people forget sometimes and that sort of thing. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I do. And I catch people with that all the time. I make sure you've got to put, if you, if you took something, you should definitely credit it. Also, just so that later on when people go, what is this code that make this so different than all the code around it? You can see where it came from and they can try to understand why it looks the way it does or, or why it acts the way it does. Right. Absolutely. Now you've also been very active in the book writing scene. I think you started with Linux books. I actually mm -hmm. uh, bought when it came out your book, iOS 5, Pushing the Limits, which I'm a yeah. big fan of. Uh, of course, it's a little outdated now, but I think you, you have a newer edition. Mm -hmm. um, how did your writing career come about? Um, that was another kind of, it wasn't completely giving things away, but it was definitely a favor. Um, I, I have a very good friend in uh, that lives near here, and he was having a problem getting stuff done for a Linux book he was working on. Um, and he contacted me and said, please, can you just write a couple of three chapters for this mm -hmm. book so that we can make our deadlines? I said, sure, whatever. I was a, I was a Linux guy at the time. I was running the, the Triangle Linux users group and, um, or, or one, of the, one of the officers there. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, so I wrote, I, I, I can't remember what it was, two or three chapters for one of the uh, Linux books. And because I had done that, then the publisher contacted me again, and it kind of just kept rolling and rolling. And because I had written those years ago, uh, I think these were, I think I started writing those in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd written those years ago, that's how I got into iOS books. You know, they once they've seen you, they kind of contact you. But again, it, it started out as just somebody asked a favor. I mean, it paid, it paid a couple hundred bucks or something, but I mean, it was right. a lot of work for a couple hundred bucks. Right, I know um, the feeling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, that's how that's how it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what was the experience like writing the iOS books? Those that was a really weird story. Um, I decided that. Uh, at the time when uh, when iOS uh, in the iOS four and five days that we really needed a advanced book. There were all these really really good beginners books, mm-hmm. um, but they were all beginner books. And I said, well, what about the person? You know, not super advanced, but they've already shipped an app. They don't need to start with my first app. They mm-hmm. need to solve problems that that come up a little later down the road. And so I started building up something to, to do that. And I was actually contacted um, uh, to build the, uh, uh, the dummies, one of the dummies books. Oh. Um, and that, that we had a wonderful conversation about that. And, I, and they were – I said, yes, but I want to write an advanced book. And they were like, okay, well, let's see how that's going to work. And I, and I put together this, this uh, table of contents that was going to be basically advanced iOS – for dummies. Hmm. And we all looked at that and we were like, you know, maybe, maybe this won't work. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this is impossible. Um, but uh, completely independently, uh, another part of the same company contacted me and um, asked me to pick up, uh, help, help uh, rewrite a book that had already existed and uh, improve it. And uh, by the time we got done, we just built a whole new book. And uh, they help they help put me together with uh, Magunth uh, Kumar, who uh, lives in uh, Singapore, and uh, he and I uh, kind of split up the book and and went on from there. But the real goal was to get something into the market that was, like I say, just a little beyond uh, that 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 first that first beginner's book. And how has that crossed over at all with consulting? Has there been somebody who's read the book and been like, "Well, I want to hire Rob now." Mm-hmm. You definitely have that kind of thing, and uh, I probably made more from consulting gigs off of that than I made from the book. <laughs> um, books – I will warn people, big books that get printed and put on a shelf do not pay well. Yeah. <laughs> Don't expect to make money on them. Uh, you will make a lot more money consulting for, per hour. Um, but th- but they, they get you known. Um, today right. I wouldn't do it today. I would do like eBooks or, or, uh, there's, I think stuff like the object CIO, um, folks and some of the, the things coming out of Gumroad. And I mean, I think there's a lot of really, really great stuff going on that doesn't need to go through on these huge publishers. Have you been challenged at all managing the consulting pipeline? It sounds like you've actually had to turn away business on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, has it ever come into the point of conflict with your full-time job? No, and mostly because I'm very, very conservative of what I take. So, um, and, and that's why I wind up t- turning away most jobs. Like I say, I, I, I live in a kind of a rarefied bubble. 
um, that few people are as lucky in life as I've been. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always wonder when I give people advice, it's like, does this advice, does this advice work if you don't get super lucky all the time? Um, so things have worked out and it's allowed me to mostly just turn away jobs that aren't perfect mm-hmm. uh, for me. And so I don't have much of a pipeline because I'm, ne- I've never worked on more than two jobs at the same time and almost never more than, and almost never more than one. And the vast majority of the time I don't work on any project. Uh, so it's not that kind of, not that kind of gig. Now tell us about your work on the speaking circuit. You're a very well-known speaker. Um, you've done talks that have been well-shared all across the iOS community. How'd you get into speaking and how has speaking contributed to consulting? Well, uh, speaking has been a whole lot of fun. I got started um, when CocoConf came to Raleigh. Uh, they had one time in Raleigh and uh, did one mini-conf and uh, just a one-day quick thing. But I, but I got to speak there, and that kind of got me into the, the CocoConf group. Uh, CocoConf is one of the most wonderful conventions out there. It's run by an incredibly kind family. And, and kind of once you come into the fold there, you're, 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 you kind of become part of this family. It, it, it really is a, a, an amazing experience. And so being able to go to the different CocoConfs around the country has allowed me to uh, get known a, a little bit better and, and especially to practice speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've gone on to some from there, gone on to some some other con- conferences, uh, but those have actually been a bit more recent. Some of the some of the larger conferences. What's been so the I'm most memorable about... uh, conference for you? Oh gosh, Tri Swift that just happened was uh, was really incredible in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, was just really incredible because it was built by it created such a community. Uh, it really, really encouraged us to meet with the uh, the the attendees and the speakers. Really got to interact a lot, and that was just, that was really, really incredible. That's what I love about going to a conference. I mean, you can watch a lot of the videos now. That's becoming more and more popular, more and more common, uh, but. <laughs> I hate I hate to say because I know a lot of people don't have either the time or the finances to go off to a conference, but there's a lot to be gotten out of being there and getting to see people and and the kind of conversations that we had out in the snack area were uh, really helped change my way of thinking about the community and the and and how we can help each other. Now we talked about a memorable project. Tell us about an awful project, a consulting project that uh, just was a disaster from the start, or that ended terribly. Again, don't name any names, but sure, sure. we want to hear They're a horror all... story. <laughs> well, my horror story is probably the normal horror story, and I think uh, most most people I, I I suspect run into the same thing where you know it's going to be a horror story day one. You know from the first email, and or I definitely did. And every, I will say, every bad experience I've ever had consulting, I knew from the first email this was not going to work out. Okay. And I did it anyway. And this was one of those. This was just somebody came along with a security consulting project, and what they wanted wasn't really possible. It was tied up with they wanted they wanted to make something they had patented be secure, but they couldn't change it because that was their patent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but it's not secure. So I don't know how to help you. And um, 
the biggest the biggest thing is probably the biggest thing that affects most people. It was very difficult to get paid. Uh-huh. And um not getting paid once once you know it's that that you're going down that road, you're always going to have that problem through the whole thing. So, uh I definitely learned with Anytime I have the least concern, I make sure that they pay me something at the beginning, even 50 bucks. If, if they pay me anything, they will probably keep paying me. But if you have to, if you have to drag the first payment out of them, yeah. then they're, gonna, they're never going to pay you. And that's, I, that's the one that I've had to write off I've, in the end. I, had, I was like, I, I'm never going to collect this money. Um. <laughs> now, now, working as you do uh, full time – What's the legal aspect like for you in your consulting contract? So do you have to be careful about intellectual property at all with your, with your full-time job? You do. Uh, okay. And, right. And you do want to and, – and I, I, have a, I have a contract now that, that allows that. And so I have, to, I have to make sure that I don't have overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kinds of projects that I do now or could – or that you would ever imagine I would do, uh, I stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly would never work on, you know, something that would be a competitor to any of the projects. But those, they never come up. Um, I've actually never had to turn away a project because it was too close to my day job. Um, mainly because my day jobs have always been kind of very highly specialized. Mm-hmm. And, the other, and my consulting jobs wind up being specialized in completely other areas. So especially, you know, dealing with performance or security, these are very general problems that aren't tied to what I'm what I'm doing day to day. Right. That makes sense. Now, I have a few technical topics that I wanted to talk with you about, the first of which is just a general overview um, in iOS apps today. How do you feel about the best practices in security and how they're being implemented by the average developer. So is the average iOS developer following best practices would be another way of phrasing that. I would, most of my concerns uh, there are as much on the server side and even more on the server side than inside of iOS. Um, I do find that most people, the thing, if you have an app that runs 100% on iOS and does not have a server component at all, it doesn't, then the likelihood that you will have a security problem is very low because what can go wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not taking personal information from people and you don't have passwords, what's the problem? You know, most games, for instance, don't have much in the way of a security problem and definitely not one that they can actually do anything about. There's cheating, which is a big problem, but there's, there's not much that app developers can do about it. Um, on the other side is... Uh, if you are connecting to a server, then most everybody winds up doing things horribly wrong, uh, particularly <laughs> okay. in how they deal with passwords. They, if you're sending a password directly to your server, then it's wrong. The server should never have the actual password because you don't want it. You never want to see it. Right. Um, so there are techniques for getting around that, but there aren't there aren't really easy ones. I mean, you can use things like OAuth, which which is pretty good, but it's just it's complicated. Right. Um, I I haven't found one that's just hey, you do this. I mean, it's kind of like the R encryptor problem, where it's like hey, I can just give you this and we're done. I, I I don't know if it's as easy as solve that for authentication, where we could just hey, here's just a piece of code. It'll just do it for you. Um, 
Are, are you a fan of developers using third-party authentication providers? So do you think uh, a developer who doesn't have a lot of security experience, it would be in his best interest to use something like Facebook login? I don't think it. Um, I don't think it saves you anything security-wise. The reason you use Facebook login, and we just I've been dealing with Facebook and Google login myself. Uh, the reason you do is convenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it makes onboarding a whole lot smoother. I don't like it because you just tied you just tied your 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 users' personal information and privacy back to Facebook. For something right. Facebook didn't need to know, you just told them um, that they're using this app, and and maybe you're telling them some other stuff like every time they con- they connect to your app, you you know you're bouncing stuff to Facebook and Facebook and Google, they're they're um, the thing they sell is people's private information. Right. So I and I get that, but I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to give it to them if I don't need to. Um, there's not a there's not a lot of way around that today because it's so convenient so they're going to do it but um i mean our people are going to use facebook and google logins right but that's all yeah it's not but don't do it for security reasons but on the other hand aren't we then not storing a password so isn't there the the, that That advantage it is better uh and they use they they use a pretty good authentication mechanisms so that is nice the the thing is if you store passwords kind of wisely um you at least give the user more ability to not to, to have a different password for this app than they right. have for other apps. That Most users sense. don't. Most users don't. So we have to help protect them from that fact. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there is this massive face, you know, once I have Facebook, I have everything, you know, really, that actually worries me uh, security wise. That makes sense. Tying everything together. How do you feel about app transport security? Oh, I think Apple's going in a great direction uh, for all that. I mean, it's very frustrating, of course, for people. But um, there's lots of people who like to do deep thoughts on, well, maybe we shouldn't do things over HTTPS. Or something. No, just it, HTTPS, please. <laughs> it's not sufficient, but please. <laughs> you know, it's, it is necessary. Just uh, So Apple making this, look, guys, you just need to do it. I think has been uh, has been a very good move. Uh, frustrating as it has been for many of us. Right, right. There's always these older services that are still running over HTTP uh, that have to improve their infrastructure to be compliant. But that's progress, right? And this is how you get that progress. You have to start really start breaking a few things, or you will never ever fix it. Um, and I think that they've been pretty you know conservative in how they've rolled that out right they've given people lots of warning and uh still everybody will be shocked when they finally do break everything <laughs> or are we shocked <laughs> fair enough um i want to talk about a talk you gave recently called swift and the legacy of functional programming um mm-hmm. i'm going to link to it in the show notes of course but uh, can you give us just a brief summary of uh yeah and it's really funny because that was not the title i didn't uh Maybe that's a good title, but uh, I, think, I think that's Realm, how it was. Um, Realm, yeah, Realm yeah. added a, a title to it. It was actually called uh, Lambda Here and Back Again, okay. but I guess that's kind of obscure, and I don't think anybody understood it. So, so they probably have a better. So that's probably a better title. <laughs> I, I understand it if that if that makes you feel better. But uh, but just tell us about um, briefly what it was about, and then we'll dig more into the details. 
Right. Um, so I feel that uh, we talk a lot about functional programming. Uh, it's gotten a lot of a lot of press, and everybody gets very excited. But Swift is not a functional programming language. Um, and if you try to make it into a functional programming language, it'll tend to to fight you a bit about that. Uh, but we've learned a lot. There were so many lessons that have come out of functional programming. We should bring those forward. And much of that has to do with how we break things apart, how we make them generic, and then how we glue them back together. And that, that was really what I was trying to trying to bring people to is this idea that they can pull things apart and they can uh, they can use the lessons we've learned from functional programming to then kind of click everything uh, together nicely with uh, with uh, more generic code. Do you feel like the community has been pushing the functional aspects of Swift too far? Probably. Okay. <laughs> uh, mainly because there's a huge focus on functional programming syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, and, fun- and the trouble is that functional languages have specialized syntax for gluing together functions. Um, Swift, uh, I've, I've been able to give some, some more recent talks uh, where I made the point, Swift does not compose with functions. Swift composes with types. Right. So if you try to do functional programming things that's all about composing things with functions, it blows up because the, you don't have any of the syntax. You, I mean, you can do it, but at every turn, you're fighting the language. So did you agree with the move that they made to take currying syntax out of Swift? I know it's very specific, but I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I, I was a big fan of taking it out because currying syntax is a great example of where it fell apart. So currying syntax is huge in, in functional languages, uh, particularly um, in, the, in the ML line and in, um, in Haskell, mm-hmm. right? Currying is everything. Uh, and in fact, every function just takes one parameter and returns another and then – that's all they can take is right. one parameter. And then they either return a value or they return another function. That's everything. It's baked deep into the language. Swift isn't like that. So currying syntax was always this kind of weird bolt-on that in order to make it work right, you always had to break standard lib. Mm-hmm. Standard lib, everything is backwards from how it is, say, in, in, a, in a language like Haskell where currying is the norm. The parameters go in a different order. Mm-hmm. Um, so you put the list, whatever the target is, goes last. The function goes first and the list goes last. And that, that turns out to be very, very, very convenient in currying with, with currying and syntax, but it's very, but it doesn't work that way in Swift. Everything goes the other way. So you're fighting it all the time. So yeah, I was totally glad to have it to admit that this wasn't really working. I think you have a bit of a unique perspective because you have a bit of a functional programming background, it sounds like. And then you, of course, also were a Mac developer before the iPhone and, of course, well before Swift. It seems like the two communities, when they came together on Swift, there was a bit of tension. Um, but uh, they, yeah. Is that fair? <laughs> that is fair. And I think what ha- – I don't know why. Different groups show up and you're often surprised because I'm also – I was a Go programmer as well, okay. and I really, I really love Go. Uh, but Go ran into this thing where their expectation was that they would attract C++ programmers and C programmers, right? right. Go envisioned itself as the next step uh, beyond C. 
Right. Um, so C++ guys would love it, and they'd all come over. That didn't happen. Ruby programmers showed up, and Python programmers, scripting language people showed up. Right. And so it was suddenly, we you didn't expect it, and they brought their culture with them, right? There were certain cultures. Um, and and so uh, Go, the the whole Go community has kind of adapted to, to all that, I think actually very, very successfully, um, and created its own its own uh, culture. Swift somehow attracted Haskell programmers. Right. And again, it's this like, why? Well, because it was the first modern language that was going, that you knew was going to be super popular, right? Yeah. It wasn't going to be F sharp, which <laughs> is, is a nice language, but nobody's going to, but few people are going to use it. Why? Because it's not the main language, but Swift was going to be the main language of one of the most popular platforms out there. And it has things that look functional if you squint. Right. Um, and Haskell programmers seemed to all perk their ears up and go, oh, let's come over. And then they started to try to use it. And they went, but it doesn't work right. Mm. And again, it's because they were trying to glue things together functionally rather than with types. And that was even worse in the very early days of Swift, because in the early days of Swift, it wasn't clear how things were going to compose at all. Um, and there was a strong idea that if we just push hard enough, we can make it into a functional language. Um, and I helped that. I, I, I created my own custom operators, too, and I, <laughs> I did all that. But I've, I've backed way off of that because it's not – it doesn't work in Swift. So do you feel that the two communities are now a little more simpatico? Have things gotten better over the last two years? I, I think it'll ebb and flow. Um, I think you'll, you'll see uh, a continual talk of, of functional things, but that's because I think our whole industry is slowly learning the lessons from uh, the 70s. <laughs> we're kind of catching up to the 70s, maybe the 80s. We're starting to get into the 80s, I guess, of trying to pick up lessons that we've known for a long time. Um, and you're going to see Swift kind of change towards that. And it knew, I mean, they say themselves, I mean, Chris Latner says, you know, Haskell is an influence. It's not like he didn't know about these right. things. He knows it, one of the incredible things about Swift compared to many other languages is that it was built by people who actually did know other languages, right? It wasn't just to scratch an itch. It wasn't like Perl where you're kind of building a language because I need to solve this one particular problem. Right. Um, it was a language. Swift was a language built because they wanted to make a really good language based upon the foundations of other languages and what we'd learned. How do you feel about some of the old time Objective C programmers? Because you're also kind of an old time Objective C programmer. Uh, criticisms of Swift. So taking it from the other direction. So we kind of talked sure. about the how the functional community has felt about Swift and some of their challenges. How do you feel about um, some questions about its dynamism and things like that? But you have to be careful calling me an old-time Objective-C programmer because I did get in some trouble with actual old-time okay, okay. Objective-C programmers. Well, let's say when somebody I who's been doing Objective-C more than a decade. <laughs> but, but when I, I once did I, – I suggested that I had been around for a while and then people who had actually been around for a while reminded me. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. And they were right. They were totally right. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of the – I think a lot of the, the complaints, frankly, are a little misplaced uh, <laughs> because I believe in because I believe in type safety. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of type safety, and I think that the that many, many, many of the problems in Objective C uh, of bugs that we've gotten over the years, Swift 
makes those bugs impossible when as we get as we get to the point where where swift is where it needs to be the problem right now is i will say they are completely 100% correct that today mixing swift and ios is very painful right um i i and i keep laughing cuz people will go oh but swift is going to be is so much easier for people to learn and i don't understand how that's true cuz objective c is actually a very simple language and swift is a very complicated a very very complicated language um but i have been assured by many folks who teach it that in fact it is, and new learners that swift is easier to learn um so so that's good i think that those who are are upset about like dynamic uh, code. I get it. Um, but usually when I ran into the things they're talking about, like, oh, you can't swizzle anymore. It's like, we rightfully told people not to swizzle before. It's really dangerous in Objective-C. Please stop it. Right, right. And from a security perspective, I would think Swift is much better, right? I, I don't know at the runtime level how many real-world security bugs were happening, but uh, it would seem to me that that if you can eventually disassociate Swift from the Objective C runtime, there might be some security improvements there. Is that right? Uh, the real security improvement that you would have is avoid being able to avoid um, uh, stack overflows, right, right, and 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 stack smashing and other kinds of uh, writing outside of your space. C. The problem with Objective C. The problem is C. Right, right, right. Right, and the fact right. that I can write that I can just write into random memory and trash things, and and the way a lot of security attacks look, you hand very carefully constructed bogus information that is mm-hmm. built to not only cause the computer to cr- or cause the program to crash, but when it crashes. It actually enters an undefined state, and you know enough about the system to force that state to be what you want it to be. So that I mean, that's the most common way that you deal with things in in C or in, in causing C programs to have security problems, to have, to have those kinds of security problems that involve crashes. Swift does get away from that because when you crash Swift, it's a different situation. Uh, things are often are generally range checked, for instance. So that crash is actually completely different than the C equivalent of the crash because uh, Swift guarantees a crash. It's not undefined behavior. It says, I promise you I will crash. Whereas C just says, I promise nothing. Anything can happen next. And by the way, that probably looks like crashing. Um, and, and those from a security point of view are very different. But it, but I don't want to say too much. I don't want to go too far into that because it doesn't, that's not how iOS programs get exploited. That's not the problem in iOS programs. The problem in iOS programs are almost always at the um, network layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. The protocol, mm-hmm. and that doesn't matter what language you use. Right, right, right. Better. That that makes sense. Are you all in on Swift, or are you still doing projects in Objective C? I am ninety-five percent in in Swift. I I have. Just recently, I was 100% on Swift until I don't know a month ago or so, uh, where I was where I've started doing a little bit more Objective C work uh, because of legacy code, um, and I do maintain our encryptor in Objective C, and, that, and I and continue to support that. Um, it is very funny though going back to Objective C because uh, I hadn't done hardly any at all in in many many months, and and you come back and you're like, oh my goodness, it actually is a lot harder to. <laughs> To write things, although what's amazing is all the things that turn out to be super simple, um, and most of the ones that have to do with talking to uh, Coco. 
and foundation, and you don't have to fight with weird as casts all over the place. Right. That can be nice. <laughs> Rob, before we let you go, I want to ask you about some advice for other people who might be in a similar position to you who have full-time jobs and want to develop a consulting career on the side, which has mm-hmm. not been uh, the typical guest we've had on the show. So yeah. what advice would you have for them to, to start out in that direction? I would first be very clear. You don't want to do this stuff in in secret. You, you do want to, you do want to make sure your, your employer knows what you're doing and kind of set some ground rules and, and have a very, very clear idea in your head of how much time, when are you going to be spending doing it? And, uh, how is that going to be properly separated? Um, and, and don't try to be too, too, you know, funny with it, uh, or, uh, or, or, or try to get away with anything. So once you're once you're there, then then it can be very very um, uh, nice. I, as long as you keep things small and don't let it take over. So I that, I, w- I would definitely encourage people if they're going to do it as as kind of a moonlighting thing and and to learn things, um, picking up the small things or when you have clients who don't have crushing deadlines. Um, they could do big things if you're willing to do it over a long period of time. That's all. That's all fine. Um, I found most people, though, who are in my situation, wind up writing their own app. Right. Right. Um, that and makes that, sense. Uh, um, and that's that's a little easier. Rob, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, well, I just uh, have conferences coming coming up. I, I'm, my, uh, I'm very excited to be going to uh, uh, both CocoConf Yosemite, which is going to be gorgeous incredible incredible place uh in yosemite national park you get to hike around and everything it's it's really really incredible and uh i'll also be in chicago in uh april of next year if anybody wants to see a much longer discussion of swift and types and functional programming great i'll link to those in the show notes well rob it's been a pleasure having you on the show how can our listeners get in touch with you uh, so just go to robnapier.net. That is my uh, website. And you can find my blog. And I'm robnapier at gmail.com. Rob, Happy thank you so much for, for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, we hope uh, to be hearing more from you at conferences soon. Wonderful. Thanks for listening. And I want to thank my very excellent guest, Rob Napier. If you have feedback about the show, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Dave Kopeck. That's D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes and please recommend us in your podcast player of choice. We'll see you in the new year. Have a fantastic holiday.